It really is a privilege to, to be up here and speaking to you this morning. Um, as you know, we've been on a, a journey in, over summertime where we're exploring the Psalms and the riches and the treasures and the truths that are in the Psalms. And today, the Psalm is Psalm 67, and it's a real missionary Psalm which, which proclaims the hope of the nations. And David is writing it about, he's writing it and saying that the hope of the nations is within this chosen people who was Israel. And I want to just go over the whole story of Israel as a nation and how they were supposed to bring God's presence and blessing into the world and that the blessing was not only for them, but it was for everybody. And that's really where we're going to go today. So before we start, I want to ask a couple of questions. I want to ask some of the questions which I want you to mull over over the course of this preach. And it's the questions of, do I represent God well? Is my life, is who I am, is everything about me, the way I live, does it represent God? Does it draw people into a relationship with God? Does it draw people into God's presence? Does it, do people look at your life and your, how you are and think, man, there's something on that guy's life, there's something on that lady's life which is so attractive and there's something about God on his, on his life? And I think if we can answer that question well, I think we are representing God um, as we're supposed to. And then the second question around that is, how much does it matter to you? How much does it matter that we want that mark of being an ambassador to God on our life? Because that will always tell you where your heart is and how much you're hungering after the things of God. Because it's God's purpose to be, through you, a vessel of His goodness and His grace and His blessing into the world. And that is what the psalm is talking about. So Psalm 67, if we can put it up on the, on the board, if we can make it black so I can read it as well at the back. There we go. It goes like this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations of, uh, upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And there's such a, it's such a rich, short psalm there. And I believe that it's, it points out a couple of key things that God has for us, has for our life, that he wants us to walk into and, and reveals. So if we look there, that your way may be known. So if you're taking notes, number one, God wants to be known. God wants us to know him. God wants us to not just have a head knowledge of him, but have a relationship, inward knowledge of who he is and how he works. It's always been his purpose. This is Old Testament. God wants his presence to be on your life. Secondly, we see, let the peoples praise you. He's a God who wants to be praised. He's a God who wants us to praise him. He wants us to recognize that he is not like us. He is the creator of the earth. He is above us. He's above our thinking. And there's an aspect of us having a little bit of humility in, in, our, in our walk with God and giving praise back to the almighty God who created us in the first place. And I think 
if we can get that in our lives, that our life is, is not the be-all and end-all that we might think it is, that we are purposed here by God for others, it sets us on a path of, of getting to know Him better. And it says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And I love this one. God is wanting to be enjoyed. God is wanting to, God is wanting to be enjoyed by, by all His people. He's wanting to have an actual relationship with people. You can't enjoy something unless you know something. You can't enjoy something if you have a head knowledge of something. You have to have an experiential knowledge of it. And that takes you into a, into, into a place of really enjoying and really loving something. And that's what God wants as a relationship for us. He wants to be enjoyed by his people. He wants to, us to just have a life which is abundant, but a life which is thoroughly in, in him and, enjoy, and, and, and enjoyed. And then lastly, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now this is obviously a lot of the Old Testament where God in his nature and his justice um, had to come through. And, but it's also about revering God. It's about right-sizing God. God is not like us. God is the creator of heavens and earth. He has made every single thing. And if we think we can take charge of our ways and our lives and we know more than God, then we're in for a bit of a shock when, when, when we start to understand who this God is. At the root of all knowledge is, is a fear in the Lord. It's a healthy respect. It's an understanding that God is bigger. God is grand. God is not like me. God is above me. He is in charge of everything. And if we get that right, he becomes Lord of our life. So I love how John Piper says it. He says, sometimes if you want to understand a little bit, you you almost got to look at the opposite meaning of things. So God does not want us to be ignorant of him. He does not want us to be disrespectful of him. He does not want us to be bored of him. He does not want us to be cavalier or casual with no reverence of him. And I think within that, God also reveals in the scripture what he wants to be known for, enjoyed for, feared for, praised for. And it comes through quite clearly. If we go to the next slide, he says, God wants to, one of his character points is he's a God of grace. God wants to be gracious. There's something about God who is just a God of absolute grace. Then the next one is he's a God, your saving power among all the nations. He's a God of saving power. He's a God of power. You cannot be represented by anything other than power and life and love. And then thirdly, he judges the people with equity and he guides the people. He's a God of justice. He, he's a God of justice. And thank goodness Jesus was there because he poured his wrath and his justice on Jesus so that you and I can live in a free place and we can worship him not like the Israelites had to worship him back in the day. But in order for us to understand this, I think we could spend a sermon series on each of those three characteristics of God. But that is not the whole point of this psalm. If we read this whole psalm, we understand the purpose of it. And the purpose of it is the next slide. Why are we blessed and why is God being gracious to us? And it's so clear. Among all the nations, let the peoples, let all the peoples, let the nations, let the peoples, let the nations, let the peoples, 
all the peoples. That is the subject of why we are blessed, why, we, why God has been gracious and praising and, and, and being gracious to us and blessing us. And it's summed up so beautifully. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to the peoples and the nations of the world. And that is exactly what this is. It's a missionary psalm proclaiming God's goodness and saying, I'm blessing you as a nation, as a people, so that you can go and bless others. And that's, that's, the, such the, that's the key of, of who God is. And it's, it's there from the beginning. If, when God meets Abraham, he gives Abraham a promise. And the promise is in Genesis 12 too. He says, I will make you of a... And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. It was never just for the Israelites. It was never just for a people group. It's never just for you. It's for people. And Abraham gets given this amazing promise. And in order for us to understand the entirety of what's going on in this, in this, in this promise and the inheritance that comes with it, we need to look at the entire Israelite story. So I'm going to try and wrap up that chunk of the Bible like that in about 10 minutes because I'm under big time constraint here by dad. And um, yeah, so, so Abraham's given this promise. He has a child by faith called Isaac. And Isaac has, Isaac has this inheritance and hands it down to Jacob. And Jacob is actually the father of, of the Israel is is one of the fathers of Israel and actually Lord, the Lord changes Jacob's name to to being Israel and and Jacob has 12 sons and one of the sons Joseph has his is favored by God has has such a presence of God on his life so much so that the, his brothers and the 11 other brothers do not like this and they plot to murder him. And instead of murdering him, thank goodness, they send him, they sell him to traders who eventually becomes a slave in Egypt. And now this is a guy who's had the presence of God, the, the, the mark of God on his life, and he goes through this terrible time of, of being dealt wrongly, dealt unfairly, and he ends up in Egypt. And he ends up being a slave for one of the prison guards. But here's the thing, what it says in Genesis 39. He says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. How key is that? Wouldn't you love to put your name there? The Lord was with Dan, so he succeeded in everything he, he did. Just replace your name in that and believe it because the Lord is with you. His presence is on you. And it's one of his, one of his promises. All right, and so... So Joseph is here, and he is a faithful man to God, and his presence of God is on his life. So he succeeded in everything he did. Whether he was a slave, he became the owner of the, he became the, the whole one who managed, the, managed the, the household. And eventually he became so successful, and he became into the Pharaoh's house, and he became second in command, or pretty much in command, of everything, the entire nation of Egypt. And in this place... Of being so wronged, he gets to a place where he's so elevated by God, and through that, through that mess of it all, through the hard times, through being in prison, he comes to a place where he is able to just be such a blessing to the nation. And he foresees a, a famine, and he's able to 
bless the nation of Israel by, by collecting storage, storage grain and they're able to survive the worst famine that they've had that would have wiped out the nation. And not only that, he's able to bless his family by bringing them down in this time where they would have, been, where they would have died because they had no food and he provides and there's provision and there's forgiveness and it's just such a great story of, of someone rising up from a place where they've been wronged and they've, been, they've had sort of the bottom of their life pulled out from underneath them. And they're able to have God's provision and his, his, his presence on their life to become successful. So Joseph and his brothers, they settled in Egypt. And we catch the story a little bit later in the book of Exodus and his descendants are now the Hebrew people, the Israelites, and they are unfortunately enslaved by the, Egyptian, by the Egyptians. They are abused, they are whipped, they are crushed under the weight of, their, of the Egyptians' rule. And they are enslaved to build their cities. They are the, it was so bad that their firstborn, their firstborn boy, their, their, actually all their boys had to be killed when they were born. They didn't want this nation to, to have anything. I mean, that is serious persecution. Just think of that for a minute. But God reveals himself through Moses. And what he does when he reveals himself through Moses, he says, Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God who gave that promise to Abraham for that inheritance to flow through, your pe- through the people that you I'm going to now get you to, to, to save. And he gives, he gives Moses this amazing promise. He says, Moses, I'm going to, I've, I've heard the cries of your people. I'm going to take your people out of this land, and I'm going to give you a promised land. I'm going to put you, place you in the fat of the land where there's milk and honey, and I'm going to place you there so that you can be blessed. But you're going to be blessed so that you can be a blessing to everyone around you. You can be a blessing to the surrounding nations. I'm going to set you apart. And you all know the story and the story of liberation and how Moses takes this nation, this Hebrew nation, this Israelite nation, out of slavery and he contends with Pharaoh and eventually sends 10 plagues and eventually Pharaoh um, releases them and they escape through the Red Sea. And there's this amazing provision of God. There's this manna from heaven and there's water from rocks and it's, it's really a, a place where they just looked after by God. And Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai and God enters into a covenant with Moses. And he, he goes through what, what's happened in the past and how this lineage is now with him. And he reestablishes it. He says, God enters this covenant and he says, you know what, from now on, my presence is going to rest with your people. And that's so key. It's God's presence on earth is going to rest with people. God's presence is going to be on you as a nation. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to set you apart as a nation. But here are the conditions for you to be set apart. Here are the things that you need to walk into in order for you to be set apart so that you can bless the nation and bring my presence into this, into this place for everybody. And unfortunately, as we know, their disobedience right from the beginning leads them into the wilderness and a whole generation has to be cut off from God's, God's provision and inheritance before they can enter the promised land. And eventually, um, Joseph, um, Moses hands this on to, to his son, 
Joshua. And Joshua is able to, to enter the promised land for the Israelite people. And there's a time of fighting back and, and establishing their nation and their land that was promised to God. And it's amazing, it's amazing if, you, if you read the time, some of the battles and the things which happened in that time where God had to provide and they had to have such faith for it. But here's the thing. They go through a time of having rulers, judges, and eventually they have a king, King David. And I want to pause the story here because it says King David was a man after God's own heart. King David was a guy who, who knew God's presence, who, who knew what it was to be in God and with God. And he was an amazing man and really established the land for Israel. And it's... And David came to God and said, Lord, I remember our ancestors back in Egypt. I remember how oppressed and everything they were. And what, we want, what I want to do is we need to build a house for you so that your presence can have a permanent place. And they wanted to build a temple for God. They wanted to build a city for God that he could reside in and he could, he could live in and be part of the nation. And they wanted it to be in Jerusalem. He wanted it to be... But unfortunately, he wasn't able to do this because of the wars and the blood and the, the things that he had on his hand. And he gave this task to Solomon. And Solomon reigned in the time of the most amount of peace and prosperity the Israelites had ever seen. He, so much so that Solomon's time of rule, they had made silver as common as stone. When you think about it, they were a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy nation, and they were able to build a city for God. They were building a city for Egypt as slaves. Now they're building a city for God as free people, as free men. And as good as it sounds, as noble as it sounds, here's the thing which really seemed a bit off. We read in 1 Kings 9, it says, Solomon conscripted slave labor from the surrounding nations in order to build the temple. If we think about that correctly, they're building a temple to honor and to host the presence of God, a God who liberates slaves and brings them into a place that they can be a blessing, and they're using slaves to do it. They're building a temple to to a God which frees slaves, and they are using slaves to do it. And it's... It's a crazy thinking. It's, it's so far from God's, God's original plan of, of I'm blessing you to be a blessing. I'm setting your nation apart to be a blessing to the surrounding nations. And they completely forgot their call. You see, Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests, prophets, and ministers. And they were supposed to go around teaching they were supposed to be there to teach God about, teach, teach other nations about God, te- show God's light, be a lampstand for God in the nations so that the other nations can come and see that there is the one true God and he's the God of Israel. And unfortunately, they turned their back on this calling. Instead of being a set-apart nation designed to Make this God known. Make this God praised. Make this God be enjoyed. Make this God be feared among the nations. They, would, they turned it into something which was for themselves. They, they'd, in this time of prosperity 
And that's the danger of prosperity sometimes, is we, we start to become self-reliant and self-dependent. We start to focus inward in on ourselves, and we st- start to use the blessings for ourselves instead of other people. And I love what, what Pete Hughes says in this. He says, Solomon became the new Pharaoh. Israel became the new Egypt. The slaves had become the slave owners. And here's God, his treasured possessions, his set-apart nation, his vehicle for bringing healing, restoration, redemption to the ends of the earth are enslaving people and causing suffering and oppression instead of causing blessing and abundance. And it's so far away from the psalm we've just read, which was written by Solomon's dad, which says, I'm blessing you to be a blessing to the nations. And here's the crux of the matter. At the end of Solomon's life, the nation of, the nation of Israel split into two and both became under the subjugation of another, of another people group. They became slaves again. They lost their inheritance. They'd forgotten the whole purpose of why they'd been a set-apart nation. And on top of that, their prized temple that they'd spent so long building was destroyed And isn't that so true? Some of the work that we prop up and we build up in our time of prosperity, it's not going to hold when God comes and said, what were your motives for that? What was some of the, what was, what was the purpose of that in your life when you compare it to the grand scores, grand scheme of things? And God had to begin a period of restoration for this people and eventually pointed the way to a one that was to come. So Jesus so that the blessing of God didn't have to rest on people. It could rest on individuals by faith in God. And that's where we are at today. And I still think there's so much that we can learn about stewarding the blessings of God well so that we can be, we can be lights and lampstands to the, to the nations. You see, when we think of blessings, unfortunately, sometimes we think of money, lifestyle, family, jobs, we, we think in such worldly terms. And yes, God wants us to be absolutely abundant in these areas. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to have. Because if we have, we're able to freely give and we're able to grow in things that with his provision, we're able to do things better and, and, and better. But the thing which sometimes happens is we get that blessing and it becomes I, myself, me, my family. And as soon as we have that shift in focus, we have a bit of a problem. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, how much money is too much? And the answer is, however much replaces your trust in God. The problem with prosperity, apart from the lordship of Jesus, is that it is not built on a foundation of trust. So he's not against the accumulation of wealth. He's against the accumulation of wealth at the expense of, the tr- of your trust in God, at the expense of your reliance on God. You see, we, in, these, in these blessings, it's so often to, we, we, we direct it towards ourselves and we don't honor the God who gave us the blessing in the first place. Sometimes we become so self-reliant, self-centered, prideful in some of our blessings that, that it leads us away from the purposes of God and the purpose of God for your life, not just for that blessing. 
And I wrote down some points here. The devil loves to divert our attention to our effort to achieve or receive blessings. He makes us focus on our lack of blessing or hold so dearly onto a worldly blessing we have that we start to link it to our identity. And this is dangerous because when the blessing is not there anymore, it shatters our faith and sometimes our walk with God. And it's so easy to get to the place where the focus of the blessing is for yourselves instead of why the blessing was there in the first place. And I know some of us are walking through terribly difficult situations at the moment. And there's something on that which is, which is so tough. And Dan spoke about something last week which really touched me. He says, God may take some of the scaffolding off our lives so that we might start relying on him. And I started thinking, what is the scaffolding in my life which is preventing me from walking through some of the purposes of God in my life? And it's really, it's not as a, a law-based thing, but it's as, a, it's as a thing which, how can I meet better with God? How, what, what stuff is putting my reliance on me instead of on God? And then working out how to release that in my life so that I can see blessing in that area. And I think we need to be very clear from the start is what is our true greatest blessing? What is the thing which is our true blessing? And it was on the Israelite people as a nation, and now it's on us individually. And it's, the answer is it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God on us individuals and on that nation, which is the greatest blessing you could have on your life. Psalm 16, verse 5, it says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You alone. You see, God has chosen us. God has chosen us to be his treasured possessions. It's no longer a nation. It's us individuals. We're here to carry the presence of God into the world and into the nations. And no matter what worldly blessings we have or not, we have the one true blessing, which is Jesus Christ presence and the Holy Spirit's presence in our life if we are in Christ. And that is something which can sustain us in the hardest of hard times. It's something which we can rely on when we have much. It's something we can rely on when we have nothing. And if we get that right, if we get this presence of God right in our lives, we will take over nations. Your life will represent what God wants for your life, and you will be able to to live in an abundance of enjoyment. You'll be able to know God better, and you will give all the praise back to God because He is a God worthy of that call. You see, the great great example is Matthew five verse five. It says, "Blessed are the lonely." for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In our natural thinking, we we don't associate blessings in those times. But if we understand the context of our greatest blessing being the presence of God, in those times, sometimes we are experiencing God in new ways and revealing himself in in, in fresh ways. And the presence of God in our life becomes so much more intimate to us and unfortunately it happens like that sometimes these things take us closer to God so that we can be in a place where we can get to know God better and I tell you when you come through that thing you know God a whole lot better than when before you you went through it 
Just look at Paul when he lived. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and, been, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked." And amazingly, amazingly, in in Philippians 4, he's able to say this. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Can I call the band up, please? You see, Paul understood something. Paul understood that his greatest treasure, his, the greatest thing he had was the presence of God. It, it, those th- he, I mean, he lists 20 things there, which for one of us would just feel like the ends of the earth is coming down on us. But he understood the bigness and the, the purpose of this. It's like that pearl that our Bible describes that he found something so valuable that he sold everything for this purpose. And God so wants that. God so wants to right-size his presence in our life that it becomes more important than any of the other worldly blessings. His presence, his lordship in our life can lead us into this fulfillment and this, the, the purposes and the prosperity that he wants to walk us through. But it takes a lordship of, of him. You see, even from the place of writing some of these letters in the bottom of a, on the bottom of a cell, Paul was able to say these things and be such a blessing to the prison gods, be such a blessing to the early church, and he had absolutely nothing apart from the presence of God and the desire to bless others. You see, Psalm 67, through our blessing and his grace, we are able to make, to know God and make known this God of grace, power, and justice. In his presence, we are so able to enjoy God in our lives, which leads to an overflow to sharing this with others, this wondrous news about an intimate God who wants to be with you and know you, and he already knows you better than you know yourself. You see, being in, being in this relationship, in his presence, it causes us to praise him, it causes us to lift his name up and understand the magnificence of who he is, it causes us to revere him. You see, the blessing is not only for us, it's for others, it's for nations, it's for the entire world. Let's be a good steward of the blessing. And I love the words of a Bethel song. It, it goes, for the sake of the world, light a fire in me. It's for the sake of the world, 
light a fire in me, in my heart. Burn within me, Father. Burn within me with everything you have so that I can go and change nations and change people and change lives because we need to realize that our blessings are not the worldly blessings which count. It's the eternal blessings. And the eternal blessings are people, nations, and cities. And I think over and above that, everything that comes through that provision from God, yes, He wants to bless us. Yes, they are for yourself to, 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 to show His abundance and His love on your life because those blessings are so there for yourself to be blessed. That's why they're called blessings. But they're there to be blessings for other people as well. Let's not be like the Israelites who kept the blessing for themselves. Let's have an open hand. Let's understand what's in our hand first and have an open hand for everyone else. Amen.